Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. No, no. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. And you like to have fun, right? Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host of the Gut Check Project, Eric Rieger, here with this awesome captain of hosting, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Ken, what's up? I'm just excited that my rank keeps going up here. I don't know. I, I, well, earlier it was master, now it's, I'm not really sure which. You know, I don't know. I mean, you keep, you know, whatever. Like now we're going with the military theme. I like it. <laughs> well, Today uh, we're here with Lieutenant Colonel Brown. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get there. You got to earn it. <laughs> we'll just, just hop into it. Hey, so um, we uh, we probably aren't going to spend a whole lot of time on personal stuff like we normally do because we've got we've had a lot of questions about a Yeesh. quick blurb that we mentioned around a what I would I guess now it's kind of a popular term Ozempic. Well, we did on our raw segment. Yep. We did. So what we've been doing is this rumble raw where we just have 15 minutes. We set a timer. And if you're, if you're a subscriber, thank you so much for doing this. But one of the things that we did is we, we answer some questions, some social media questions, and we just kind of rant. It's just kind of there. Last time we were just on the couch and ranting and the idea of this topic came up and we realized, wow, we got to go way deeper into this. Lots of questions about it. Um, Ozempic. Now it has, there are competitors, uh, excuse me competitors to Ozempic, uh, but effectively these are all GLP-1 agonists, and you're going to get into that as we kind of break these down, but there are other names. There's Ozempic, there's Wagovi, Rebelsis, uh, Sazenda, Trulicity, and Manjaro are the ones that I've written down. There may be others, and we can get into why there might be others uh, while we're in here, but um, anyhow, lots of questions around is it, is it good, in our opinion, for diabetics? Is it a great choice for weight loss? Um, well, there are there are clinics around us that basically you pay flat fee, you go in, and you're going to walk out with it. And I think that that's where people get a little concerned. Is this a suitable quick fix for weight loss? So... You and I are both in the healthcare field. You put people to sleep for a living. You have to make sure that they have the best possible outcome after you put them to sleep. And one of the things that we did discuss in that Rumble Raw was the fact that when people are on these medications, they are at increased risk of certain complications related to anesthesia and so on. That's how we started looking at this. Yeah. And then because we got so many questions, this is going to be the big... Well, we can't keep using the brand name, but the semi-glutide podcast. Semi-glutide podcast. The semi-glutide. So all these names, the one that everyone talks about because the Kardashians were on it or whoever uh, is Ozempic, mm -hmm. but it goes by a lot of different names. So let's get into it so that everyone is armed. If you're on the fence of doing this, there are pros and there are cons. And a recent study was just published in JAMA. Whereas looking at some of the side effects, and I want to go into those just so that everybody's an informed consumer. Because what's happened is a lot of people are getting these medications from their doctors. 
A lot of them are doctors that uh, are in the weight loss space or they're in the anti-aging space and they just give this to to their patients and they don't explain what could be going on downstream. Yes, you may be losing some weight, but other things could be happening. So that's what I want to talk about today. No, I think it's a really good place to start. We've uh, long positioned ourselves on this show and even before the show ever started that nothing, everything in life is a trade-off. And we, we, there's a lot of different approaches that we've talked about that. Everything in life comes with a trade-off. There really are no examples of a true free ride. And to turn to something to solve an issue, if you're willing to accept the pathway for it to happen. I mean, if you want big muscles, you want to be strong, you are going to commit that you're going to have to generally have a good diet and you're going to have to exercise. And that takes away time from leisure activity and doing things like that. So that that's the cost. Well, this is no different. And just because it happens to be a quick injection or what have you doesn't mean that there's not a cost. So I think exactly. that's kind of what we're going to talk about. All right. So let's jump into the grand o o o ozempic podcast did i do that right i was off tune on that i wouldn't worry about it they kind of ruined a really good song when they did the commercial anyway <laughs> <I> no <know. laughs> all right so the ozempic background so in 1984 this is how long ago it was an endocrinologist discovered that there is something called glp1 which is called glucagon like peptide Glucagon-like peptide does a lot of things, but the problem is it's really short-lived in the body. Shows up, goes away right away. So there was some interest at that time to start looking at, well, how in the world do we make this last a little bit longer? Are there any other animal models in the world? As it turns out, there was a Canadian researcher that realized that the Gila monster, G-I-L-A, I think, yeah. it's, I think it's still pronounced Gila. Yeah. Or Gila Monster, wherever you're from. It's Gila. That's cool. You guys say Gila Indicator also? We don't even say it. Indicator. <laughs> you just eat them? I came, yeah, I came, to, I came to the city to learn what they're called. <laughs> so um, Gila Monster. So as it turns out, Gila Monster has the ability to go really long periods of time without eating, and they can slow their metabolism down. This Canadian researcher had himself shipped a Gila Monster up to Canada. Mm. And realized that they have a gene that produces something called extendin-4. And it's this extendin-4 that allows the Gila monster to not eat for very long periods of time, slow their metabolism down, and ultimately the extendin-4 is how they were able to take, um, well, this GLP-1 glucagon-like peptide, figure out its structure as, a, as the peptide, and then somehow with the extendin-4 make it so that it lasts for, for a really long time. In other words, the half-life is like seven days, so it's super long, which is long for drugs. Sure. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. So now we figure out where it came from, um, a Gila monster, and how they were able to turn the GLP-1, which they had discovered in 1984, into a drug that lasts a long time. So what exactly does GLP-1 do? The GLP-1s, I'm going to say ones because now we know there's a whole class of them, they make you feel full, they increase insulin production... And it slows your digestion down, specifically your stomach, so that food hangs out in your stomach longer. And also, apparently, it seems to be improving the beta cell function in the pancreas. So it's not just releasing insulin, but it's making the cells release them better, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. So far, so good. Sounds awesome. Uh, So for diabetic people, this is where it was first studied. 
What they did is the original study that came out was strictly in diabetics, and they were looking at hemoglobin A1C. Hemoglobin A1C is the average of your blood sugar over a 120-day period, which is the, the lifespan of a red blood cell. In theory, this is what it's supposed to be. And so hemoglobin A1C, this is the main thing that they were looking at. So in these clinical trials, these patients had dramatic results. So they showed that people with a hemoglobin of A1C of 11, they could get it down to 7. And being non-diabetic is below 7. So 7 and up is considered diabetic. So going from 11 to 7 is pretty amazing. Sure. Secondary analysis is where this thing just spun out of control. Because in the population, what they realized is the people that were taking slightly higher doses had dramatic weight loss as well, Mm -hmm. in addition to controlling their hemoglobin A1C. So the company that was making, which which is Ozempic at this time, Nova Nordisk, said, well, what happens if we go up even higher? Would we have a new indication? So all they did is increase the dose refiled with the FDA and said, we're going to go for a weight loss product. Mm -hmm. We're going to call it Wegovi. It's the exact same thing as Ozempic, Mm -hmm. higher dose. That's it. So it's called Wegovi. They got the indication and it was all based on a essentially accidental finding that in this diabetic population, people were losing weight. So Wegovi comes out and almost immediately it gets the, you know, FDA grants at weight loss approval. Mm -hmm. And so... Wegovi, they did underestimated how many people would actually take this. The supply of Wegovi is depleted immediately. Doesn't take people very long to realize this is the same damn thing as Ozempic. Ozempic is more readily available because it's made for diabetics. And there's not that many diabetics able to use up this whole supply of Ozempic. So, pow, everybody runs out and starts getting Ozempic. And now all of a sudden we've got a short supply of Ozempic for diabetic people that was working fantastic for the hemoglobin A1C. So when that happens, the FDA has something that they call a drug that will be put on the shortage list. And if possible, then compounding pharmacies can fill the gap, which is where compounding pharmacies then stepped up immediately and they started producing semi-glutide. Now, you and I were talking before the show that's interesting because when I've heard other people describe this, they're like, well, it's the FDA-approved drug Ozempic. Anything that's compounded is not actually the FDA-approved drug. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Hold on. You, you said it best. If it, I mean. If I understand the rule correctly, and so please write in and correct me if you know it better than this, but the way I understand it is you can patent after something has at least so many different amino acids in a chain. So you may want to. Explain exactly what a peptide is, but basically it's a shortened building block for a protein. Exactly. And so, so th- these are these are peptides, and which means that they are even shorter sequences of amino acids than than a traditional protein. And the way I understand it is that semiglutide and liraglutide and all all the different glutides they all, uh, I believe, are below the threshold of complete. IP protection by the patent office. So technically, anybody who has full access to peptides could mimic any one of these drugs, compound it, and then sell it. They just couldn't call it the brand name. They could still call it the... That makes way more sense to me because I was like, wait a minute. So whoever it was, Norva, Nova Nordisk mm-hmm. comes out with this, but then 
they're able to have another drug immediately. And then all of a sudden there's four other companies doing it. Yeah. I'm like, well, they're all semiglutide. How in the world are they getting away with this? Mm -hmm. It's a peptide. That makes a whole lot more sense. They trademarked it, but they can't patent it. Correct. I, I, that's how I understand it, but that's how it makes it's, sense. Yeah, it's how they, I mean, there's, there's very little example of a uh, pharmaceutical company turning over their intellectual property just for compounding pharmacies to also do it. <laughs> Never heard of that happening. The altruistic way of let's <laughs> we, let's battle diabetes together we just want people to feel better yes <laughs> <laughs> said no pharmaceutical company ever, ever. <laughs> and we're going to stop this particular podcast for a special invitation this invitation is to join the gut check project raw locals community we all are tired of the bullshit where we turn for great information who we can trust and essentially we want to put a stop to that there's a lot of bullshit out there, and I know about that because I'm a butt doctor. We're here to build this community to bring trust back to you. There is a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of stuff being censored, and it stops here with our community. And I'm a gas passer, which means I put this guy's patience to sleep. I know that you don't want to be filled up with any hot air. Ultimately, we want you to connect with us. Ask us questions. Let's build a community around trust. No more bullshit. So if you're watching or listening on Rumble, click that red join button in the bottom right over here, and that will take you directly to GCP Raw. We're super excited for you to join. I mean, seriously, it's going to be pretty cool. We lose customers when they are cured. Said, Said all, all of them. them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So basically, these compounding pharmacies are able to produce this peptide. And they call it semaglutide or semaglutide sodium or something like that. And the funny part is, is that peptides fall under this little weird category of not a drug, not a natural product. And you'll hear people describe it as for research protocols only. And this comes down to the exact thing that we have to say when we produce Atrantil. We can't say irritable bowel syndrome. We have to say bloating, change in bowel habits. Same thing that they're doing. But so what I'm hearing is a lot of the pharmaceutical industries bashing the compounding pharmacies mm. like crazy. Sure, yeah. Like there's, uh, you're, you're, you're getting, you know, whatever. And so they're listed as research products. They're playing the game. But I've talked to a lot of doctors, including Wade McKenna. Right. Who's got a great compounding pharmacy, including uh, some other friends of mine that are all that have looked into this. It, pep, pep, peptide science for many practitioners well beyond this is not new for several. And they've got... I mean, there, there are a lot of, of docs out there uh, in, in athletics and in, in, in other avenues in tissue regeneration that have been doing peptides long before Ozempic became this big splash. A hundred percent, which yeah, yeah. is why it, it's no big deal to a lot of these docs sure. that have been working with these, with these compounding pharmacies. I just say that because if you've talked to somebody, if your doctor has a reputable compounding pharmacy and they will know if it's reputable right away yeah, because you're either going to have results or you're not. So... Um, but the really shady part about this is as you start researching this, as this guy did, you start getting pop-ups. Mm. And all of a sudden, it's like, want want to lose weight for $99 a month? Mm -hmm. Because if you were to get the brand name Ozempic, it can cost you upwards of $1,000 a month. Are you serious? With, for four shots. Yeah. Well, and a shot is a week. Yeah. So you give yourself a shot once a week. A grand a month. Yeah. I, I've heard even more than that. I'm sure there's less at certain things, but this is if, like, insurances aren't covering it. 
No, why would they? People are knocking on the door to do it anyway. I know. So, um, so when you see these pop-ups, this is where it gets a little creepy because all of a sudden you've got Ozempic for $99 a month, Ozempic for $75 a month, whatever it is. These are web pharmacies. Oh. You know, call in now. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that now. The whole hymns, Little Blue Chew, um, oh. all these different places where you call up and you go, well, here's, I'm a doctor. Mm -hmm. Do you have this? Let's just make sure that nothing's going to kill you. Okay, you'll go ahead and get your script. There's, a, you know, quite a few of those now. Well, these guys are jumping on it also. Okay. And so you're seeing that, and I think some of those pharmacies are doing it. It is interesting, though, because it turns out it appears to be pretty big business because, like, some major weight loss places like Weight Watchers are purchasing some of these things. Why not? Weight Watchers was all about portion control and everything. Now, if you come to Weight Watchers, we'll give you access to... Any lesser expensive... A semi-glutide. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so um, I was doing a little reading on this that, as it turns out, Weight Watchers stock jumped immediately when they purchased one of these online things. Yeah. I don't think the stock was doing real good in the first place, but, you know. So there's some interesting things to think about. I want to throw this at you. Okay. So the first thing is this shortage has been created. Mm -hmm. This shortage has been created where we know the drug, at least in the doses they were looking at for diabetes, is very effective for diabetes. Is it effective for weight loss? Who knows? A little bit maybe, but certainly the higher doses. Does it have the side effects that we're going to get into in a second? Who knows? But the shortage is largely caused by people with disposable income. And so there's like some serious income barriers to getting the drug itself that can be very effective. And people that really need it may not have the income to purchase it online or whatever. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, wait a minute, what exactly is going on here? We've got a drug. We're always talking about, you know, we need to, whatever, chronic disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, all these other things. And this drug comes out that appears to be effective for it and then suddenly becomes unattainable to a huge percentage of the people that really need it. Yeah. It's just the things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, it's... I think that's quite interesting, especially, especially considering that Ozempic itself, under that brand name, is not indicated for weight loss. It may be the same compound. I mean, of course, we know that it is as uh, the other version, Wagovi, but um, semaglutide, as, as branded under Ozempic, would have to be increased to get the same result as Wagovi. And what's interesting, I think, just as a side note, we saw uh, during the height of the pandemic and addressing COVID that certain news organizations had no problem calling out various other solutions that were not FDA approved. Don't even oh, think of doing that. Yet I've seen, I've seen things when I'm working at the surgery center and someone leaves on, for instance, good morning, America, GMA, and they'll, straight up have someone in there doing native ad interviews talking about how Ozempic is a great solution for weight loss. And I'm sitting there going, it's not even indicated for that. And just two years ago, you were shitting all over everybody yeah. who was doing anything that was different from 
approved medications. It just goes to show that... Yeah, and let me tell you what. You'd be hearing somebody squawking about it if another company owned Wegovy. Oh. The same company owns both effing drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're enjoying the heyday. They do not care. <laughs> they, they care not at all about any of that shit. They're selling product. But I, I don't want to digress on that. I, I do think No, it's, I think it's something to, that's worth digressing. Like, pick and choose when you're going to say something has an FDA indication or not. They're going on the freaking news talking about it. So they're allowing celebrities to come on and promote it. You talk about the greatest um, influencer, the affiliate program ever. Just let people lose weight and go on TV and say, yeah, I'm doing it with this. And who knows what they're getting paid in the back end. But Yeah, well, and for the record, practitioners every single day, uh, all of these, take, take all these drugs that we just kind of mentioned or hinted at, out the window, every single day, practitioners prescribe medications that are off-label for uses that they are they're finding solutions for their patients. There are a lot of drugs that have good clinical uses beyond their original FDA indication. 100%, because we've discussed on other shows to get the FDA to give their stamp of approval and says, you're FDA approved for this, that may be $50 million. So I, I will ask this, though. What is the role of FDA or whomever, I don't, I don't even know who it would be specifically, maybe maybe a state pharmacy board, What it, what is the role of them and is there one to regulate for uh, need of drug? I mean, like, I, oh. I, I, think, I think it's wrong for necessarily for, for somebody who just has better monetary means more or less to, to use a particular substance for something that isn't necessarily life-threatening uh, and, and being able to pull it from the pool of somebody who, I mean, diabetics, I mean, long-term diabetics, they face serious uh, disease consequences. So I can see how it would probably be better for this particular compound to be made, number one, affordable and available to those who desperately need it. But in the end, I mean, who whose call is that anyway? I mean, I, person, personally, I see that. Whose call is that? What do you think? Like, what, what, what do you, what do we even do about that? I mean, we hear the story. We, yeah, like who decides it's a shortage? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, there, I got a lot of simple answers, but they're not going to make anybody happy. Well, I'm truly hoping it's Linda from accounting, so it's only a numbers <laughs> thing and nothing else is involved. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think it's Linda from accounting. No, it's definitely not Linda from accounting. It's 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 not about numbers. It's well, it is about a number, and it starts with, it looks like an S with a line through it. <laughs> so yeah. So that's sort of the background and what I would kind of throw out there as some social things around it already. Yeah, I mean, and it's fairly you know it's fairly brand new that it's getting although you know developed or discovered in '84 really just kind of launched a couple of years ago. Yeah. So prior to launch, they did clinical trials on it and they did what's called the STEP studies. And so the STEP, S-T-E-P, mm. it's an acronym for whatever the, they decided to do it. It was, uh, they do ultimately have like one through eight studies. The one and two were really the original ones. And then the other ones are like subsets of population. So it's like, we're going to do this one on just diabetics. That yeah. was step one. Step two was, hey, let's do diabetics that are obese. Step three is, let's just do obese. And so you could kind of see where they're going with this. Then step four was like, let's do this race. Let's do this, or not necessarily race, but let's do this 
group of people in this part of the country so that we can get, I don't know. The, I mean, it makes that's sense, kind, That's kind of what they you, did. They but said, you need to do that kind of stuff. They said, let's go see how this does with Asians. Let's go yeah. see how this does in Northern Europe. And so that's what they did. So, interesting, at the higher dose, at consistently when they were looking at the higher dose, 80% of people lost some amount of weight. Mm. And that sum is defined at least 5% of their body weight. Okay. All right. The interesting thing is that around the average was about four, like 12 to 14%, like a significant amount. In what, what period of time? Oh, like six, I think it was eight weeks. Eight weeks Somewhere to, around there. to lose almost 15% of your body I, weight. I might be wrong on this. I was just kind of. Don't hold me to that, but yeah. I think it was, yeah, around, I think it was around, around eight weeks. Could two be, months would be reasonable. Whatever. Let's just say 12 weeks. Just yeah, to sure. Be, just to, but either way, they had some weight loss. That's yeah, pretty decent. Um, what's really decent is that one-third of, of those 80% that responded, mm -hmm. of those ones that did respond, 20% or uh, those people, one-third of those people lost 20% of their body weight, which is equivalent to bariatric surgery. That's what caught everybody's eye. I would imagine bariatric surgeons not so happy about semaglutide, unless they also sell it. Yeah, you know what? I mean, that's that's a whole separate deal if you can't beat them, join them. But here's the deal. This is what is exciting about this. There is a significant drop in the hemoglobin A1C, as we talked about. So Bonus. the diabetes got better. But blood pressure improved, cholesterol improved, and overall strokes and heart attacks decreased as well. Okay. All right. So, I mean, really what you're looking at there is collectively de decrease in all-cause mortality over time, which would be all of those different diseases, correct? Correct. Over a short period of time. Short period of time. Over a short period of time. But, I mean, if you time. were to extrapolate that out long, then, I mean, that's... That's what you would think. That's the selling point. But, in the studies, a... Overwhelming number of people, 93% mm -hmm. had side effects. Oh, wait, we didn't, yeah, they didn't put that out there. Okay, go ahead. What were they? Uh, here's the interesting part is that almost all of it was, or I'll say the, the over, what they described is the overwhelming majority are gastrointestinal type problems nausea, vomiting, constipation, occasionally diarrhea. Okay. So it's almost like if you're not having these side effects, then you're not going to have the expected response. I actually have a, I actually have a patient that was on it and didn't lose any weight. And I asked, I'm like, you feel nauseous, constipated? They're like, nope, nada, no response. nothing, no response. Yeah, because they were like spending a thousand dollars a month to not. And I just kind of looked at them and went, huh. you should have like, if you're not having side effects, you're probably you're probably that, you yeah. know. 20% that's just not going to respond to this peptide. Mm -hmm. Gets into a whole other argument. Should you choose a different type of peptide, which Wade McKenna and I got to talk about yeah. that. So, and that's how you have to start thinking. All right. Here's the kicker. Hey, just a highlight uh -huh. real quick though. It's funny that you say that about Wade, because I, I consider Wade just so well-versed in red before he engages with anything else like that. And, and isn't that interesting that he's the one that who said, had that discussion with you about it, possibly hopping somewhere else. My uh, survey experience from people that I know have gone through with the semaglutide, whatever, it's it's almost like a, a, a quote-unquote doc shop. They've wow. gone in, and if it doesn't work, ah, well, we tried. Yeah, There isn't an alternative. They are not peptide experts. They are experts at finding something they can 
could tell. Yeah, and there's a couple other peptides. The one that he was talking about, just so that we, we can jump ahead really quick or, or come back to it, is Monjoro is terzepatide. Yeah, terzepatide. And so yeah. it's the terzepatide that maybe if you don't respond to semaglutide, mm-hmm. you'll respond to terzepatide. Yeah. Separate out there. All right, so here's the kicker. 93% of people are going to have some GI upset. Mm-hmm. It depends on how much it is. Uh, but there were some more things that were not benign. There was a little hint that there could be some pancreatitis, People that took it for a long time, it looks like you may lose a significant amount of muscle and connective tissue as well. The studies that people like Peter Atia are doing, where he's showing that generally speaking, when you're on a proper diet, you should lose 80% fat to 20% muscle. Uh And on his DEXA scans with his patients, he's showing equal muscle to fat loss. And connective tissues. So the structural elements are losing as fast as the fat. We don't know what the long-term consequence of that is, but I'm speculating it's not good. Well, it can't be good. I mean, that, that if, if, yeah, I wish I could do some quick math on this, but let's say that somebody happened to be, you know, obese and they wanted to lose weight. And if they went traditional method using Atiyah's well-researched ratios there, you lose 10 pounds, 80% of what I would be losing, right? Losing 10 pounds means that eight pounds of that would be the fat. And then the 20, the, the two pounds of the 10 pounds I'm losing would be muscle. And you think, well, hey, you're still losing muscle. The truth is, is you're losing some muscle that was really supporting the extra weight of that fat. So it's not really lost performance muscle at all. You're actually retaining not uh, all of your functional muscle. You're also retaining your connective tissue. But if you get into an issue of losing one-to-one-to-one connective tissue, muscle, and fat, losing that 10 pounds, you're only losing three pounds of fat, a little over three pounds of fat. You're You're now up to losing three pounds of muscle, so you're probably dipping into some of that functional muscle and strength. Now you're throwing in connective tissue. Yeah. That's, that's not good. That's not a good way to lose weight. It's not good. It's not a good way to lose weight, but we do know that it decreases blood pressure, decreases um, heart attacks, and and that. So maybe if you have the proper, and I'm going to get into this because what we're seeing is there's no way that we can have an absolute shortage of this unless a lot of people that normally wouldn't qualify for this start taking it. Correct. But if you've got a disproportionate amount of fat to muscle to lose, then the overall percentage will actually be because you have more fat there. I'm thinking that the percentage itself probably is more beneficial losing a little bit of the muscle that you have or some of the muscle that you have, but you're going to be losing this excess fat. But when you're the type of person that a lot, we know a lot of celebrities are out there doing this. Um, One of my partners just had somebody come in and they were pretty fit, whatever, and they were on phenamine and Ozempic. Oh my. And he's like, why are you doing that? And he's like, get shredded. Oh. So yeah, to go from I need to, I'm morbidly obese, I need to lose some weight to, oh yeah, I'm gonna get super lean. All right. So that being said, losing losing the loss of muscle and connective tissue. Oh, by the way, like a um one of my patients uh, runs a wellness clinic mm-hmm. and I was talking to him about it, and he says that he does use these. 
Mm-hmm. He prefers the terzepatide, mm-hmm. but he does a body analysis once a month. And when he starts seeing loss of muscle disproportionate, he won't give it to him. Yeah. He goes, you need to be doing a, like aggressive weightlifting to not lose this muscle. Well, not only that, I mean, uh, it that that's actually very responsible, it sounds like to me. It's, I mean, because peptides were very early in all of this clinical application for sure, but... Even, and we've already mentioned his name, but even Wade talks about it's, in his opinion, it's irresponsible to simply just give someone one of these glutide uh, peptide compounds and then just turn them loose. That there are other things that need to be balanced in there so that you're not having the, the tissue loss that is undesirable. And I, I, would, I would hope that most end up finding that type of, uh, that type of care. Agreed. I think that there should be some sort of standard of care for that. Sure. Um, he did tell me that you try and pull somebody off something because they're just excited they're losing weight, and they get they do they're not happy. That's weird. I know. <laughs> um, there's also some concern, not a lot, but about thyroid cancer. Some cases of using it in rodents, and it seems to be mostly rodents. It's important. The occasional person will show up with thyroid cancer. Thyroid really do much? It's I you know I don't know. It's I just know when it's not working well, people can't poop well. That's all I care about. Okay, when it's sluggish. So is your colon. What's that hair loss from? Ozempic. Anyway. <laughs> uh, there's also an increased rate of gallbladder disease, some acute kidney injury, and it appears that there's an increased risk of suicidal ideation as well. But you're going to be skinny. Remember that. And in fact, there's a new label that the FDA is required to put on that it can be associated in rare cases with a complete ileus. Oh. That means that none of your intestines work. They just stop. There have been reported cases of permanent nerve damage resulting in essentially permanent gastroparesis. Your stomach doesn't move. They don't really understand the mechanism why. The scary part is these major things regarding ileus and nerves appears to take place after 18 months. So you won't know about it right away. Out of curiosity, before we get into the implications or how that affects, you know, patients clinically, do you know if there's a difference between someone who is taking it for uh, diabetes versus someone who is using it for weight loss and if the peptides happen to have less of a uh, side effect profile for those who are simply taking it for diabetes? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Would like to would like to because I'm kind of curious the if maybe, the, maybe the lower dose of a, of the way they brand a semaglutide under Ozempic doesn't necessarily have that, but since you're taking it at a higher dose for weight loss, I'm curious if that's what basically turns on these neuropathies, these long term neuropathies. Yeah, could be. I don't know. What we do know is that if it takes that long for it to happen, that oh man. If if it's built, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't think anybody knows the mechanism of that. Yeah, weird. But, but we're going to get to this because okay. a study was just published, and then the rest of it is going to be about mechanism of action and side effects. But uh-huh. I wanted to get to the meat of this. Sure. Um, if you're a nerd, hang out after this. And we're going <laughs> to we're going to geek out. All right. Here's what's fascinating because I did clinical trials for ten years. The dropout rates in a trial with ninety three percent. So it, you have 93% chance of getting a side effect. Okay. The dropout rates were super low. It's like 6%. So these people are willing to put up with it 
because they're having weight loss. They want to lose weight so bad that they're willing to put up with side effects like that. Now, if I have you enrolled in a trial mm-hmm. and I'm saying, you know, Eric, we're doing this study and it is bleh, whatever. It'll make your fingernails grow slightly longer, uh, you know, over a period of time. And you have nausea and vomiting. You're just going to be like, take your freaking nail medicine and shove it up your butt because I'm not doing this. Yeah. 93% of the people had GI issues. Like it was normal. Like you could literally predict who's going to actually have a response. If they didn't, then it's crazy. Wow. All right. Perfect. Lose the weight you want. I've actually heard patients tell me, well, my doctor said he's going to keep me on it until I get to the weight I want to be at. And then I'm just going to maintain right there with diet and exercise. It appears that when you come off, it looks like you gain it all back. Yeah, I'm sure. We can talk so, about that. Yeah, it hasn't been around that long, but the people that have done this, that have lost the weight and yeah. then came off. I did talk to one friend who was on it, and he loved it. He was like the biggest champion of it. He has some issues with, um, and he's lean, like, this is not an obese person. This mm-hmm. is somebody that's very fit that wants to just sort of take it to the next level. And he got so excited. And he goes, I have no urges to eat or anything. But he was on a high dose, and then the doctor said, we can't keep you at this high dose. So a lot of doctors are doing this, where you ramp up to the point where you really start losing weight, but then you start looking at the side effect profile. Like, I can't have you showing up with ileus. I can't have you showing up with thyroid cancer. You know, everybody starts worrying. He's like, well, let's back off. He said that he got backed off, and he woke up voracious. Yeah. Ended up eating a whole red velvet cake in the middle of the night, and he's like, he goes, it's real. Like this stuff is messing up here, and it's and we'll and we'll go ahead and get to that. So I've got I've got a nurse uh, that I work with, and her word, her word for her, her behavior was I was ravenous. <laughs> That's pretty hungry. That's hungry. All right. So now those are the studies that got the FDA approval. So let's even look at some more real world studies, mm-hmm. actual published studies. In the newer real-world studies uh, following people at weight loss clinics, the average amount of weight loss is about half of what was shown. Okay. So it's about 7%. And even that 80% of people that, that said oh, only 20% don't respond, it's actually 40% of those people. So it was half of that. So just cut everything in half. Oh. Because I've had patients yeah. that came in totally despondent. And in fact... Um, Wow. When they were doing those step trials, they had dietary intervention. They were oh. going in once a month. They're selective, too. They're totally selected. It's, yeah, sure. You know, it's it's the way it's done. But I did, um, I've had a conversation with, you know, like I've got some morbidly obese patients that have been morbidly obese their entire life and have listened to everything that they have done, it, it, which has included, you know, try diet changes, which has included the fad things, which has included the... Um, HCG injection weight loss clinics included the fentermine things like it's just a lifetime of trying the next thing yeah and they said something that was really interesting to me that when they did Ozempic and didn't lose weight and all their you know friends and family are losing weight then it was a little bit of shaming where it's like well you're out eating Ozempic then how are you doing that like like people frequently talk to <laughs> Obese people. Like I was listening to this. I was, I was listening to so ridiculous. I know I was listening to some podcast and they, um, <laughs> they said the sad part about being obese is when you go to the doctor 
you go in, I'm like, I'm having recurrent migraines. And it used to be, have, you need to lose weight. You need to start exercising and eating right. And you can go in with any complaint, but when you're morbidly obese, the thing on the doctor's mind is you need to lose weight. Yep. It's like, you need to lose weight. Have you considered Ozempic? Mm -hmm. Dead serious. They were saying, this is what's happening. I'm going in with this complaint. I know I need to lose weight. I've been this way since I was 12 years old. I've been fighting it my entire life. Gets back to our old episode, not old, our previous episode about treating your microbiome well, starting out as a child. Mm -hmm. I mean... We didn't get a chance to talk about it there, but there could be that we're causing mitochondrial damage with the standard American diet, oh, without, and it could be happening at a cellular level. Without question. So, but and now there's this whole new realm of lots of traditionally obese people are now becoming skinny, and I think that there is some, I don't know, I just know that... When somebody responds like that, then it's like, well, you need to, I mean, I did it, you can do it kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. And it's a little bit of that going on. So as it turns out, you know, 40% of the people are going to respond so, really well to it. And and just, just doing it from the rough figures that they have there. I mean, essentially, when they're really selective, and they do this with a lot of different drugs, but when they're really selective on the inclusion-exclusion criteria, which is how they screen for people to participate in a trial— uh, super effective, probably low side effect profile uh, or lower side effect profile. You turn it loose for anybody to take it. So the effectiveness looks like it's waned by a roughly half of who it's going to be effective for. And you can only assume, and, and unless you have the numbers, that maybe the side effect profile might increase. I don't really know. They get worse uh, on the public than what they reported originally in the clinical trial. Yeah. I do know that in the clinical trials, they didn't mention anything about what got termed O-face. Remember O-face about nine oh, months ago? that is interesting. I didn't even bring that up as a potential side effect. Yeah. But yeah, Ozempic face. Ozempic face. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's not O-face. O-face is from uh, office space. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the waiter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like a record. Anyway. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, Ozempic face was the sunken yeah. uh, mass in and around the cheekbones, zygomatic bone. The cheekbone is now poking forward, and people uh, typically aged rather quickly while taking these these peptides and um, they quickly came up with a nickname and they called it uh, Ozempic face and um, so I'm wh what I'm illustrating is is that many times they have these clinical trials and then it's not until later that you discover that there are just simply side effects that weren't either caught or just simply weren't reported because they're so they're so strict on the inclusion exclusion criteria on who gets to participate correct. And this brings me up to this point, which oh. is why I wanted to talk about this. Okay. A study was published last week in JAMA, and it was looking at side effects of semiglutide and liraglutide when used for weight loss. I don't know which one's liraglutide. That could is be right, the, Belsis. Uh, oh, okay. Um, they looked at data from over 5,000 patients prescribed these drugs. And basically what they concluded is, is that the side effect profile of the serious side effects like pancreatitis, essentially four times as much as that was shown in the clinical trials. Oh, shit. And granted, it's still low. That's like 
Yeah. But it's still low, but it, you know, it's like four times as high. But that's to totally be expected because we know that when you do the clinical trial, you handpick, and here you have a broad range of people. I'm only bringing this up because this is 5,000 patients, and what we're really talking about is tens of millions are on this now. Okay, so, so tens of millions, and you and and do doing ballpark math here. That sounds like a 0.8 percent thing. That still would be what, roughly eighty thousand people now with new pancreatitis within and and since the use of this, so you know, year. Yeah, yeah. So we don't really know what we're getting into quite yet. And of course, there's a, all basically all the side effects were higher than in the study. Than in the study, which is to be expected, yeah, including the slow the slowed gastric emptying, known as gastroparesis, because I'm seeing that all day long. I would almost say that it's a hundred that if you're if you're on it, you have a hundred percent chance that you've got a slow stomach. Well, yeah, if you respond to it, if you're losing weight, the chances are you are not emptying your stomach out uh, like you did. Yeah, like normal. Yeah, well, you, you stay full. That might be part of it. Who mm -hmm. knows? But it's all there. But so the bottom line is, there's higher rates than you would see in clinical trials, likely because this is real-world data, and it also includes higher-risk patients. Think about that. Yeah, it's true. Lots of exclusion criteria in the studies. True. So it's all things we have to take in. The conclusion of this is that the benefits of weight loss may outweigh the risk for most patients, but you should be very open about these risks and monitor very carefully, which I don't think a lot of people are do, especially if you're freaking getting it from an online website saying... Semaglutide, $99. They give no Fs about checking you for pancreatitis or checking you for... Think of that. They're giving Dexas you an injectable scans. without any history of blood work. That's not how we typically do stuff. Yeah. This just highlights the need for tight regulation and prescribing under the right circumstances. Yeah. So... That is the general take on semaglutide, Ozempic, these drugs. There's clearly some benefit in a population. The diabetic population responded very well. That is also lower dose than the weight loss. Clearly, there's a dose-dependent thing. We won't know what that maximum dose will be until we start cranking out pancreatitis rates of 1 in 10 or whatever it is. But, all right, so now let's... You want to geek out a little bit more? Yeah, I do. Uh, I just... Before we get into the uh, to the heavy stuff, just I'm kind of curious. You know, there there's I do think there's a trade off, uh, and probably for the benefit of those. And I, I was curious if maybe a short term, you know, issuance of the lower dose for a diabetic really overall might prove out to be a good because it is, but a good trade off. Mm -hmm. And and it might very well be. I'm I'm still really skeptical if it's really that wise of a decision for most of the people that are doing this simply for weight loss. I it it doesn't sound like it's a great sell to me for that. I'm sitting on the sidelines watching. Yeah. Because the way I see it, it seems like the writing's on the wall. This is not gonna end particularly well. And especially if this is were you familiar with the HCG diet? It comes in every. Uh, it yeah. comes around every ten years. Yeah, or so. it's supposed to the the same hormone that makes uh, people think that they're pregnant. Correct. Yeah, and so I would see this where people would do the HCG diet, and it does something where you're not hungry. They're eating like 500 calories a day. You're mm -hmm. essentially starving. Yeah. You'd see people. Guess what they had? They had O face immediately. Yeah. Because you end up losing subcutaneous fat. Yeah. And then when they got off of it, 
Oh my slammed. gosh, did they rebound? Slammed. Slammed. Because your body, let's think of it this way again. You're on Ozempic, you lose muscle mass, your basal metabolic rate will decrease. Mm-hmm. Your, um, we'll, we'll just, basically the GLP-1 receptor has, the, your hypothalamus has receptors for GLP-1. So one of the reasons why it works so well is that it binds to a portion of your brain which essentially signals that you are no longer hungry and you're full. This reduces the hunger perception and increased feelings of fullness and you will reduce your total caloric intake. And in fact, the hypothalamus will choose lower caloric options subconsciously than going for a dense, high-fat, high-sugar meal that when given the right physiologic situation, your bot, your brain should always go because we're still primates. And sure. We're still evolved. Your brain will go, oh, eat that because then we can eat this and we have lots of calories. Yeah. This is telling your hypothalamus, eat this. That's all you need. Don't worry about it. Walk away. So that's part of the, that's part of the thing. Now, when you have this and then you take that away, mm. does your hypothalamus with the ghrelin receptor and the hormones suddenly become ravenous, like yeah. you just said. So now you went from, I'm losing weight under control. Don't even care if I want that or not. I'm all fine to, I can't get enough of that. Without having it in front of us, I, I can't imagine that it would be any different than any other messenger that we have in the body that when you have something that needs to be stimulated for a response to happen, that and that that response isn't happening, that the part of your body that's waiting to be stimulated does what they call upregulation. Yeah. And so now your your receptors for ghrelin, they're not being stimulated because there's not enough circulating ghrelin. You're not feeling hungry. So now instead of there just for illustrative purposes, instead of having one receptor waiting on ghrelin to come by, you now have five receptors. That's and so exactly they always come it. by and you're like, oh shit, I gotta eat. Yeah, I'm not gonna stop. And that's what happens over and over and over again in a cycle because you don't have this peptide turning it off. Now, add to it that you've lost a lot of your caloric burning muscle. Oh, and your basal metabolic rate has decreased. Yeah, it's all going to be stored as fat. You're just going to overeat, and you won't be able to burn it on yeah. a basal metabolic rate. Prove me wrong. I want to be proven wrong here. I will be the. We will have the Ozempic sponsored podcast if it really fixes our chronic illness crisis and all this other stuff. Yeah, I want to flip it on its head too a little bit too. I, I did say it, I, w- I wasn't sold on the on the weight loss thing, and I'm still on the sidelines at least on this part. I think that if you have a well qualified experienced peptide uh, expert doctor that handles these peptides and understands what blood work to look for. Like the the other person that you said is still doing the scans to make yeah. certain. I mean, that's a level of acuity that makes me far more comfortable if someone's going to engage in that. And I'm sure it comes a little bit more expensive to do it, but it, I mean, you only live once. It's your health. Yeah. So... Well, I've, since we're talking about weight, I might as well bring him up. The 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 clinic is called Smart Wellness Now. No. And it's a it's a lifestyle management clinic. Mm-hmm. So if you're local, check that out if you're interested in doing this. Because if you're going to get a peptide like this, get it from somebody who's experienced with it and yeah. keeps a close eye on you. No, no joke. Um, regarding the GLP one and how it works in diabetes, when you eat food, normally GLP one is released. This is, um glucagon-like peptide, which then releases insulin 
to help absorb all the sugar that's out there. Mm-hmm. What it also does is it inhibits glucagon secretion mm-hmm. and hepatic gluconeogenesis. So the hormone that would produce more sugar by taking substrate from the liver and putting it out there, that's blocked also. So the glucagon that tells the, the uh, pancreas to do that, it shuts it down endogenous. So your endogenous hormone goes down. This peptide does everything for you. And so you don't have as high of sugar bumps. Any food that you eat gets absorbed right away. It's a really good point. So that, that sugar that's being stored, it's being converted over, is uh, typically stored as something we call glycogen. Mm-hmm. I wonder what happens, and I don't know that we do or don't know. Maybe they do know. But if you are having these demands and you have an increase in insulin production and... Now, I also understand these GLP-1 agonists also stimulate the cells to actually respond, become a little bit more insulin sensitive, meaning that they take up this free circulating carbohydrate uh, high, uh, carbohydrate or uh, glucose into the cell. That's what's reducing the circulating sugar is you have insulin coming out and you have cells being more responsive to insulin, but you're not ever really using the glycogen stores to help supplement circulating uh, glucose. What ends up happening when you stop taking the peptide and the hormone that's been basically blocked from accessing this glycogen store? I mean, I'm just curious if, if you end up having a larger basal circulating glucose while you're trying to sleep, is it, does it cause further inflammation, do you need to be careful not to have an infection? Good points. I mean, they, it, Good and, points to all of it. And I wonder if what, what kind of weight or tax does that take on the liver, because that's where it's stored, to not have these glycogen stores being used, recycled, uh, maintained whenever you have an exertion. I mean, that, that, that's got to be mm, a consideration yeah. to some level. Yeah, I think we're gonna, this is going to play out. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch from a physiology standpoint going forward. I don't want to. Yeah, I'll let you finish this. Oh no, no, no! I'm just kind of going through these these different things. Well, did you already talk about what happens in the pancreas at, at at the beta islet cells? So it's theorized that it may augment the growth of these cells, so they produce more insulin. <clears throat> okay, what it, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I, uh, it's theorized, so I don't know if they're saying that these cells are more efficient at producing it. Uh huh. Or they hy- they become hypertrophied, uh-huh. and you have that feedback loop that you were just talking about, and they're just producing more. Mm-hmm. It's bigger, which means that when you take that suppression off, now we've got a pancreas that can burn itself out because you've got circulating insulin, and I don't know hypoglycemic events uh, later on. Who knows? So when know. when the body makes anything, of course, it, there's a level of metabolism that has to occur for a process to happen. It makes a chemical pon- uh, compound. There's there's metabolism that's occurring, right? So I was kind of curious early on before we found out about the, the disproportionate tissue loss and mm. everything else like that. Let's say that there is someone who is put on one of these uh, peptides. And the, and it works like they theorize, and it increases insulin production. What if they happen to have, a, a, at least at that point in time, an undetected growth or oh. a situation in the pancreas? Might this increase, you know, you see where I'm going, this increase mm-hmm. in metabolic rate 
doesn't necessarily result in pancreatitis, but it expedites some type of tumor growth. Cancer. Yeah. So insulin is a growth hormone. Yeah. So we've got a hypertrophy. Let's just let's use their theory that it improves insulin secretion. Mm-hmm. The kicker is you've got this primed beta cell, but because your stomach doesn't empty very fast, you're not eating very much. Mm-hmm. You're not really needing that big of an insulin hit. But when you take the ozempic semaglutide off and you start having that voracious, ravenous appetite, you, now you've got a big flexing pancreas. It's like, oh, yeah. And that insulin floating around is a growth hormone. Right. So if there is a small tumor, you say there's always a trade-off. If you're going to lift weights and try and put on mass, you're going to mm-hmm. turn on a system called mTOR. Mm-hmm. When you turn on mTOR, that is a growth uh, process, the whole pathway, which means if you do have a tumor, it's there, which is why people that do fasting, which decreases mTOR, increases CAMPK, that makes cells die, mTOR makes cells grow, insulin is mTOR. mTOR. Right. Turns on mTOR. That's, that, that, that's what made me really curious. You're not only increasing the metabolic use of the pancreas, but you're actually increasing a specific part of mTOR itself. Yeah. So I don't know. Then there's the um, gastric emptying, which I don't really understand. It just slows everything down. And um, the slower digestion, they believe this is one of the reasons why it may work. You know, I mean, like it's always, if there's a side effect, turn it to your benefit, right? It's like, well, we did that on purpose so that you don't absorb everything all at once. Okay, I get it. That's, that's great. And then <laughs> there is something about energy intake and food preferences. And there yeah. is some new data coming out that has to do something with the GLP-1 receptors in the brain. But there appears to be what is called a, a decrease in the, hedon- the hedonic pathways. Your desire for certain foods goes down. Mm. In fact, they're now looking at it. They're getting another indication. They're trying to apply for an indication for um, addictive type things. So alcoholism, drugs. Sugar. Sugar. Anything like that. Yeah, because it does something with this hedonic pathway. It lowers your preference, which, just curious when you come off it. There was one study that looked at rats Ah. that I found where they they did show that it significantly helped with... um, alcoholism in these rats, and they believe it's related to the GABA pathway. Remember in the last episode, we were talking about glutamate being converted to GABA, which is the inhibitory pathway, so it has something to do with that. Don't know. Maybe it increases GABA, so it just slows everything down, and then when you take it off, your traffic cop is out of the way. Now you just got dopamine just being like, oh, yeah, loving it. So... I just think of Saturday Night Live skits. But, well, at least they were funny again. But if, uh, you know, if somebody's trying to defeat their their gambling habit and they're like, man, you're getting really skinny. Yeah, but I wasn't taking it for that. I was <laughs> For real. Yeah, I was in Vegas and yeah. I, now I don't even want to go back. Yeah, for real. I actually talked to Wade about this. Yeah. He goes, it's really weird. He goes, yeah, just like, you know, I used to like, a, you know, a glass of wine occasionally. He's like, I can't even drink it. I just taste it. It just doesn't, it just, it's that hedonic pathway. The things that you liked, you don't like. Well, that is wild. It's a trip. I, I didn't hear that part. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a trip because I have talked to quite a few people on this. Their enthusiasm about telling you about the weight loss uh-huh. outweighs when you start asking them questions. Hey, just out of curiosity, 
and I'm this is an unpublished my whatever uh, survey un, unofficial survey when I know the people are on it and I got plenty of them on it I'm like hey just out of curiosity um do you like to drink at all no you, you know what I don't I don't I don't have any urges to do that in fact I don't have any urges to eat anything and I was like urge for sex um you know it's kind of just figured because I'm not eating much. That doesn't sound like I hard. legitimately think this hedonic pathway, it shuts them all down. So, yes, you are losing weight. Remember when I said that some of the side effects were uh, suicidal ideation? Yeah. We didn't get into the common one that I've talked to patients about, which is really weird dreams. And when I hammer them down on it, and they're like, well, yeah. And so, sweet, you lost the weight that you want. But... Maybe there's a way to make sure that that hedonic adaption doesn't take place and you can still enjoy life. Yeah. Okay, so th this just goes down a whole different shoot, and we're not going to—I highly doubt we'll solve it today. But, I mean, is it possible that the hedonic pathway, as it combined—and you even said it yourself, once you take it away, are you going to have these massive dopamine-firing things to get you back going in— is it interrupting normal dopaminergic stimulation? And if so, uh, would people who are on these semiglutide or similar compounds have a loss of just everyday motivation? Could there be... You would almost have to think. So the study with the rats was discussing the GABA pathway. But the fact that you don't find enjoyment in things that you would have normally, it's yeah. something central. I mean, you're going to lose weight and you're not going to gamble. Okay, great. And you're not going to have sex and you're not going to enjoy hanging out with your friends. And you're just going to, you're just going to be home a lot. I'm going to do a much <laughs> deeper survey because the, the enthusiasm that some of these people, like they love being on it, but. I just imagine a new, a new commercial for one of these products that just. They sing their song, like you said earlier, and they're just sitting there at home by themselves, just kind of halfway smiling, like, eh, and just rolling over. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now that I think about it, <laughs> my friends that are on this, and I ask them about the sex thing, and they're like, no, you know, I'm just, just, you know, having great sex. You want to go hang out? Why? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. no, here's what I think is that um, I should have dug deeper and be like, any chance you were a sex addict before being on this? <laughs> yes. Now I'm just having normal amounts of sex. Now, <laughs> I should ask that yeah. because it only makes sense. Yeah. All right. So um, you also have a risk of gallstones. That makes sense. If you slow everything down, your oh, gallbladder yeah. doesn't contract and you get gallstones. Shocking. This is kind of an interesting one. There was an increase in diabetic retinopathy. And you may know more about this with all the eye work that you do. Uh -huh. But apparently you can you can increase retinopathy by rapid glycemic control. Something I've never come across, but I guess it's possible. Um, I, I've never heard of that. That's I've never heard of it either. But anyways, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's temporary. Maybe your retinas are so used to a certain level of glucose, then you decrease it and then it's, it becomes this. But um, and then, of course, the huh. in the gastrointestinal tract, the big thing is, are we going to see more people with permanent nerve damage? And that's going to be the deal. You know, so basically, there's this detailed delineation of all these potential long-term side effects. Just take it into... It, just take it all into account. If um, you suffer from... 
uncontrollable overeating and you have diabetes and your doctor is saying you have a hemoglobin of 12, after all of this, I think the benefits outweigh the risks. I really do. And even if we're going to see some long-term stuff, I think in the short term, we've got to figure this out. I think if you're somebody that's 20 pounds overweight and you've got a few vices that you really have trouble with it, I think that the risks greatly outweigh the benefit. I agree. Oh, hey, one last thing I want to talk about real quick. Is there any data uh, regarding the connective tissue where people have sustained injuries that they necessarily wouldn't have before? And what I'm thinking about is... That's a great idea. It's funny you bring that up because nowhere in any of this does uh, anybody discuss this. It's Peter Atia that's the one that's sort of pointing this out. Yeah. Because he's doing these DEXA scans and he can see the difference. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. I mean, if I, I imagine a scenario, and I, I don't have I don't have any data on it, but a scenario of, of potentially somebody who's lost weight and decided, yeah, and, and probably stopped their Ozempic or whatever it is because now they're getting back to a driver wanting to do something, but they've decided that they want to now get active. They're not on this anymore. They want to get active. And they want to eat better or whatever else. I'm just curious if maybe they'll sustain a, an injury. From playing something, I, I don't know. I don't want to speculate, and make it sound like that it's accurate, but it's something worth considering. It's you're totally worth considering. Tissue. Uh, yeah. No, I think that. Yeah, it's curious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do, oh, dude. The rate of constipation and severe constipation and severe nausea and severe gastroparesis is dramatically underreported because I'm seeing it every day and see, I'm not yeah. filing paperwork and submitting it. I see the gastroparesis. I mean, I think that we talked about it on the Raw 15 on on uh, GCP Raw that uh, one of, well, now two of the places that I have uh, that I, I do anesthesia with, they've now come up with guidelines, albeit they're probably arbitrary. Totally arbitrary. I've seen a lot of different guidelines from the anesthesia. But they say things like, okay, stop for at least 10 days your your semaglutide before you come in for a procedure, especially if it's going to be what we call a MAC or an open air general where we don't use instrumentation to protect the airway. And the reason is, we, and Ken has seen this also, if you do an EGD on somebody who's on one of these, oftentimes if they've had one of the injections relatively recently, they may have not eaten for three, four days. You go down to do an EGD and there's there's a food bolus that's still there. And that is very atypical. It's very scary. There has to be something more scientific than an arbitrary just stop for 10 days because everybody will have a different clearance of the drug. Yeah, but I mean, what it should is be something that? more scientific. But what if? What, but what if? What if? I think that when you see the person, uh-huh. let's assume that this whole hedonic pathway is ubiquitous. Uh-huh. I think that you should basically tell them and say, "We can't schedule your procedure until you're horny again, okay? Because at that point, we know that the hedonic pathway has been shut down, and your regular pathway is kicking in." Their spouse or their significant other one just has to sign a card saying we did it. Yeah. <laughs> then we know that your risk of having a food bolus and, asper- and aspiration goes down significantly. So that's what I'm going to skip. All right. Maybe not sex. Let's just say no, we're going to give you a medical piece of cake yeah. <laughs> when you cannot hold back anymore and you crack that open. Medical cake. Yeah, they'll have to like break it and it'll send a signal and be like, okay, you can schedule Mrs. Johnson now. She's eating the cake. Yeah, that would be 
that would be such a weird checklist. Okay, we'll do we'll do your colonoscopy. Have you eaten cake? Or when's the last time you got laid? <laughs> and you have to be honest. <laughs> be honest, sir. Okay. Well. Oh, I, uh, okay. Well, no, that's that's it. That's all. That's all the notes that I had on that. That's a fascinating. It's a fascinating compound. Yeah. I think it's early for as ubiquitous as it's being used, but I am glad that we have. There's so much work to do on it, though. There's a lot of work to do on it. Just be sure that if you're going to experiment with it, because it's in its experimental oh. phase, that you have somebody who is going to be tuned in, and you're not just doing it on a a, a dock in the box. I know. And that uh, don't do, uh, just so that none of the listeners do anything like this, don't order a Gila Monster and, you know, like, lick the Gila Monster like those weird toads when people do that to get high. Eh, I don't know. But if you do, write in. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so as it turns out, my pet Gila monster here, you get the benefits with none of the side effects. Yeah. So he keeps biting my face. <laughs> and he urinates in my mouth. <laughs> and getting that little animal support vest on him is just a mother. I mean, those things can... <laughs> animal support vest. <laughs> For a Gila monster. Yeah, yeah. Don't, please don't pet. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. That was silly. We're a silly show. Over a serious topic. Very serious. Don't want you to get pancreatitis, ileus, gastroparesis, gallstones, loss of connective tissue, loss of muscle called sarcopenia. We do want you to get healthier, and we hope this at least informs you a little bit. Thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't ever checked out uh, Gut Check Project Raw, go to locals.com. Type in Gut Check Project, or you can always visit, visit us at gutcheckproject.com where we have the links to everything. Thank you so much. Please like and share and we'll see you next time on the Gut Check Project. Take care. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.